and we see the way the world is or we interpret the way the world is or we kind of build it in our minds the way it is and we don't what we don't realize is the world is that the world has not always been the way that it is when we awaken to it now the world that you and I are living in right now at this moment in history is changing more rapidly in our lifetimes than probably any other time in history because young kids cannot remember a time before cell phones old kids cannot remember a time before the internet uh, people my age can't remember a time before television people my parents age uh, cannot remember a time before radio and then these younger people they can't remember these but the older people can that's just gadgets and that's just technology but it isn't just gadgets and technology that are changing at this breakneck pace how we see the universe the very way that we live in the reality that we live in that is changing even faster when i was in high school even though this lectern wasn't mostly solid it was partly solid because we knew that there were protons and electrons but we didn't know that the neutrons were uh quarks yet that hadn't come to uh, our understanding when my mom was young uh people had heard about einstein and they knew that einstein was a genius but it hadn't yet percolated into the popular understanding that energy and matter are expressions of the same thing so that this is really an illusion of oscillating states of energy <clears throat> people didn't understand when in my mom's uh generation that uh time moves differently depending on where you're standing when you experience but we get that stuff now it's been embedded into our basic instincts about the universe and while we don't usually talk about physics we do understand that truth is kind of relative because everything's relative because einstein has told us that time is relative that reality is relative we get these basic understandings that kind of get into our guts so the universe that we live in is not the same universe that our parents or grandparents lived in it really is the same universe but how we understand it and how we frame it in our minds has fundamentally changed and it's different than it has been for centuries than it has been for millennia so when our universe changes we change how we think about ourselves changes how we think about one another changes how we think about society changes how we think about money and how we think about politics and how we think about our enemies all of these things fundamentally change and as a community here at NRCC we explore a lot how this is happening in our lifetimes and we especially explore how the change in the way that our universe is shaped is fundamentally upending the way that oh thank you grandpa you are such a good guy fundamentally changes how religion how we perceive our religion how we live out our spirituality and how that goes what it's what's happening in our time is that there is a fundamental upending of what it means to be christian a fundamental upending of the way that we are christian now this has happened before it's happened four times before it happened once when jesus reframed people's understanding of god within the hebrew world view it happened again 500 later 500 years later when the roman empire collapsed and the known universe changed at that time it happened once again with the church split east and west around 1050 or something like that <clears throat> last time is when our scientists begin to tell us that we did have a solid universe newton and uh, galileo and copernicus and a figureoutable universe the uh, world view shift that happened at that time was called the renaissance a few years later it was called the enlightenment the church's response to that the christian response to that was um the reformation and now it's happening again in our lifetimes 
And something that we have to factor into our lives when we live through times like this is that this kind of big change is very disorienting. When the religion of our grandparents is being rethought and reworked and reconsidered, it can be very, very bewildering. It can be hard when what our grandparents taught us are different than what we teach our grandchildren. But our children and our grandchildren are living in a different world than we are living in. People who saw the world one way have told the story of God one way and have pursued spirituality and framed religion one way. They have been Christian one way. But when people begin to see the world in a new way, in a different way, they begin to tell the story of God a different way, begin to frame their religion in a different way. And the people who are telling it one way don't like to hear other people telling it a different way. So, in historical moments like the one that we're living in, a few features show up. One of them is the rise of apocalyptic thinking. Whenever one of these worldview changes, everybody thinks somehow the world is going to come to an end. So, we live in a relatively secular society, but you see how that apocalyptic thinking is happening. There is a tremendous amount of economic disasterism going on out there. So, everybody, a lot of people think we better start storing up stuff because the world is going to come crashing down upon us. There's a tremendous amount of environmental disasterism. It isn't that global warming isn't a thing, it's just that the way that we are talking about it sounds a lot like the apocalyptic thinking that is often framed in religious terms. And Religious has had its share of apocalyptic thinking come up at every one of these times of upheavals. The world is coming to an end. Uh, Jesus is going to come and rapture us all away. A lot of these things are happening. That's one of the features that happens when people are frightened by this upending of worldview. And sure enough, in our times, there's been a rise of apocalyptic thinking. The second feature that happens is that people fight. That's just what happens during these times. The last few times, we burned each other at the stake when these kinds of things happened. We banished one another to other sides of the Roman Empire when this kind of thing happened. We fight when we're in these kinds of upending situations. And so, historical moments like these, people do say the kinds of awful things you hear people saying on the web right now about one another. At times like these, people call each other bad names. They, they think of one another as stupid or evil or backward or corrupt or going to hell. They call each other heretics or the heretics call the, the other people dinosaurs or throwbacks or relics. And this kind of stuff gets bandied about because that's what happens when you live in times like the one we are living in right now. And here's what you need to know. When you see that happening that's pretty much built into our brains. It's the way our brains function. We kind of need to be a little bit gracious to one another when this happens because there is a natural built-in system inside of you and inside of me. And that is when you perceive a threat, what your body does, what your brain does, is begin to secrete the kind of chemicals that are going to help you survive that threat. And so we call that you're either going to flight and run away and begin to live in a cloistered community or in a gated community and hide away from the world, you're going to flight or you're going to fight. 
And sure enough, we look around, we see a lot of both. There's a lot of flighting going on, and there's a lot of fighting going on, and that's what happens because that's what our brains do in times in which we feel threatened. And right now, we feel threatened. We feel threatened by one another's different perspective on the world. We feel threatened by people who are introducing change at such a breakneck speed. We feel threatened by the people who are fighting against the change that we think needs to be brought. And so, as human people, human people doing what human beings do, during times of seismic worldview shift, you can expect all these bad things to be happening. It's kind of the way things go. Now, I have founded my life as a Christian leader on a fundamental assumption. And the fundamental assumption is that Christianity is going through, in my lifetime, one of these historical upheavals. We are updating to Christianity 5.0. 2.0 came right after the Roman Empire collapsed, 3.0 after the Great Schism, 4.0 after the Protestant Reformation. We don't have a name for the new update yet, but that's the generation we're living in. So I have founded my life as a Christian leader on that assumption, but not everyone has. Not everybody has thrown in their lot with the core assumption that this is one of those times of upheaval. There are people, good people and devout people, who are not functioning under this same assumption. And next week, we are going to encounter a representative of those people functioning from a very different basic assumption. And they are good-hearted people and they are devout people, and they are people who are willing to make great sacrifice in order to live out a devoted life. And it is their devotion, and it is their commitment, and it is their desire to pursue truth and righteousness that drives them to begin to protect and guard their fundamentally different assumption. So, next week, when a representative of our denomination comes, he will be representing a lot of good people good people that I love, and we will be here, he will be here to hold a vote, and the vote is really which core assumption about this moment in history do you side with? Do you side with the one that we are in a time of great upheaval, or are we not? So today, I want to talk about a few basic principles for navigating these times of religious upheaval when they show up on our front doorstep. Man, that's bugging me. <laughs> is it something I'm doing? Is it something this thing's doing? Oh, it's something somebody else in another room somewhere else is doing. Well, how about if I turn this off and do this? (laughs) Thank you. One, two, three. Okay, so principle number one. Let's be humble and let's be teachable. It is my hope as we go through this frightening season before us, this upending season before us, that we will do it humbly and teachably. I believe what I believe, and I believe it deeply. But the truth is, I could be wrong. The truth is, we could be wrong. In fact, since we're dealing with realities that touch on the divine since we deal with this spiritual dimension when we talk about stuff, the transcendent, the ineffable, the uncontainable, we kind of know right up front, not maybe we're wrong, we are wrong. <laughs> we can't contain this whole thing. 
Now, some time ago, Stephen Colbert began joking about the phenomenon that's happening in our shifting uh, culture and our shifting understanding of absolute truth, and he started to bandy about the, the term truthiness, and he used it on several of his sketches. And it's funny because it points to a feature of what is happening in our culture because the absolute and fixed truth way that we have approached our universe is no longer the best way to describe the reality that we live in. And so that's true of the physics of our being, but that also becomes kind of true of the way that we think about our daily lives, truthy as opposed to truth. Well, on our website, when we talk about what we believe, we put that up there on the site, and that's tough for us to create a statement that says, here is what we believe. Because if you've been through one of Michelle's uh, newcomer orientation lunches, one of the things that you've heard is this. We don't really organize our community around a set of beliefs that we all share, a set of doctrines to which we all assent. That's the way most churches do organize themselves. That's not how we organize ourselves. Instead, we organize ourselves around a shared desire a desire for growth, and a desire for deepened experience of divine life. So it's kind of hard for us to put up a statement that says, here's what we believe. Here are our shared doctrines, because that's not really how we organize it. So consequently, we start our statement of belief a little differently than most, and we start off with this. I'll read to you. You can see You probably can't read what it says. At NRCC, we believe in paradox and humility. That's a strange way to begin a statement of belief, but on the spiritual path, we just can't get away from it. Consider these well-rehearsed Christian paradoxes. That could have been paradise. What do you think? God is one. God is three. God is good. God allows evil. God is all-powerful. Humans have free choice. God is merciful and forgiving. God is just. If paradox is the nature of things, well, then this demands that we live in spiritual humility. It behooves us not to become rigid in our religious beliefs, but instead to posture ourselves with hearts constantly open to ever deeper dimensions of the transcendent realm, the very heart of God. Well, that's what I mean when I say I hope that we will be teachable people, to not fixate on our rightness and somebody else's wrongness, because the universe, it turns out, kind of doesn't work that way. There is a way to be spiritual that is right for one season of life. And there is a different way to be spiritual for another season of life. And if someone is in that position, doing that thing, believing those beliefs, for them at that moment, that is exactly right. If it's not what we are doing, then who are we to say that's not right? It is not to us to make those kinds of statements, though we would like to. So I hope next week our posture will be one of humility, and our posture will be one of teachableness. It's also my hope next week that we will be gracious. People who exemplify Jesus. If there was a one and true right, now we just said there isn't, but if there was, and if we had stumbled onto it, and if we had it, if we had the one and true right, If we were completely right and somebody else was completely wrong, which is not the case, but if it was, there is a spiritual posture for circumstances just like that. It's a spiritual posture modeled for us by Jesus. If we were right and they, whoever they might be, were wrong, and if in their wrongness they they behaved badly, 
Now, which, by the way, the people of our denomination are not behaving badly. They are being kind and they are being compassionate, but they are being just and they are doing what they believe is the right thing to do. But if they did behave badly, the spiritual posture that Jesus demonstrated was one of grace. Because when he was being unjustly crucified on the cross, he said, Lord, forgive them. They don't understand. They don't know what it is they're doing. There is a posture of graciousness that we can do, even if we are wronged, even if we were mistreated. And we are not going to be mistreated. We have just been so wonderfully treated for such a long time that when we're not treated that that wonderfully anymore, it feels bad, but it isn't bad. This is right and good what's happening. But if it was bad, we could still hold on to our posture of grace. And I hope that our response next week is one of grace. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying be nice. I'm not saying be polite. Because sometimes the most loving and kind and good thing that you can do is to be confrontational. What I'm saying is let us check the well-being of our hearts first before we become reactionary. Which kind of brings up the next point. I hope that we will be of good courage. When life is in transition, when religion is in transition, as I mentioned, people get frightened. And when people get frightened, they tend to react. And if they're heart people, their reaction tends to be a craving for affirmation and esteem. When they get frightened, that's what they crave. If they are head people, when they get frightened, they tend to crave security and safety. If they are gut people, when they get frightened, they tend to crave power and control. And in times of transition, both sides get frightened. The people who disagree with my basic assumption about this moment of religious reformation, they get frightened by all the changes they see are going on. And when people get frightened, they entrench. And when they entrench, they've got a go-to place to go. If they're head people or if they're heart people or if they've got people, they know where they're going to go because they've been there before. It's wired right into our brains to get frightened by change and to have a reactionary response of fight or flight. That's how we survived on the Serengeti. It's going to be in their brains. It's going to be in our brains. But we have no say over how they deal with their interior worlds, but we do have a say over how we deal with ours. We will probably lose our building. As you heard a moment ago, it's probably going to be uncomfortable for us. It's going to push us out of our comfort zone. And the most natural thing in the world would be for us to be frightened. I've been frightened. In the night hours, I've been worried. I've been worried about us becoming wandering vagabonds. I've been worried about us being unable to find a home. I've been worried about us losing access one to another because we can't afford a place to gather. That's what change does. It elicits worry. It elicits fear. And when we fear... We've each got our go-to reactions. Now, thank God for the Enneagram because it has at least let us know in advance what to expect our go-to reaction might be, to which the wisdom of our tradition speaks in a very simple aphorism that says this, fear not. There's a pattern in our ancient texts. You see it again and again. If somebody made it into the book, They made it into the book because they had some kind of a spiritual breakthrough. And their life becomes a template for us as we pursue spiritual breakthroughs. So you see this pattern that emerges throughout the book of people going through spiritual breakthroughs. And it goes like this. There is a way that I have been. Then there is a change process that's really uncomfortable. And now there is a new way that I am. That's the pattern. Which means that something old has to break 
for something new to unfold. That's just the way breakthrough change happens in the human experience. Now, when this happens again and again and again and again throughout the text, when this breakthrough change that has been one way, it's going to be another way, but in between we've got to go through change, and it's all frightening and it's all upheaval and it's all very scary, there is usually some kind of representative of God positioned right there in the story, smack in the middle when the change is about to happen. And maybe that's an angel, or maybe it's a prophet, or maybe it's a sage, or maybe it's the interior voice, but there's somebody there speaking for God, and they say this, fear not. They always say the same thing, do not be afraid, be of good courage, do not be afraid. Now, I've been hearing that since I was a kid. I've been, here, I've been reading the Bible. I've read the Bible many times, and I've got through it. It's amazing how frequently that shows up. Just recently, I ran into a, a website that was saying, hey, here it is, 365 times in which somewhere in the Bible it says, do not be afraid, one for each day of the year. Wonderful. So the voice of God comes to us and says, do not let fear dictate the terms of your interior world. Do not let fear dictate the terms of your interior world. So, at historical moments like the one we are in, change is inevitable, so fear is inevitable, so our reactionary response to fear is inevitable, so let's feel it, let's name it, let's acknowledge it, and let's be aware of what our go-to responses are when fear comes upon us, and let us not let fear dictate the terms of our lives, either in terms of our communal life together or in any one of our individual lives, because if you're Go-to response when you become frightened is to crave control. That's the way my brain is wired. If your go-to place is to start striving to regain some security or stability, if yours is a drive for affirmation, let's see it, let's name it, and let's ask the Holy Spirit within us to help us not let that be the dictating term of our spiritual lives. So I hope next week, and I hope in the season before us, however things go, that we may not be polite, we may not be accommodating, we may not just roll over and just take it, but if we don't, we do our response on the basis of considered reflective work. We have gone to the interior world and we have asked about humility. And we've asked ourselves about the teachable posture. We've asked ourselves about graciousness. We've looked at our own fear responses. And we have called upon courage so that we would not be dictated to by our fear response. So that's my hope for next week, that we would live from an informed version of who we are because we've looked at our own souls and drawn from the indwelling Spirit of God. I will say this, that I am very proud of you. I'm very proud of our community. Because I watch you. I watch you grow. And I watch you make inner awareness kinds of choices. And I watch you do the hard work the interior work that comes on the spiritual journey, the work that a lot of people don't do. And I watch you exhibit the fruits of this journey that you are on. I watch people who have engaged deeply in spiritual community, who have worked the circle. 
And I watch you become more peaceful. And I watch you become kinder and gentler. And I watch you become more able to master your own interior worlds. I see that happening in you. I hope you see that also happening in me as we go forward on this journey. Next week, it appears we will be embarking on a season of uncertainty. That's an invitation to let growth begin to manifest in us. It'll also be a time to celebrate the growth that we have already experienced because we will see who we are when we come to this change dynamic that is upon us. We sang a song earlier. We're together in this thing. We're living through this moment in history together. We're living through this moment in our church's life together. We're living through the backlash that kind of inevitably happens at moments in history like this together. And we're seeing within ourselves things that we had not seen together. We're seeing a reservoir of capacity in our community that we had not seen together. We're growing together. New life is awakening in our souls together. We're deepening in our experience of love and peace and patience and kindness together. On the basis of the growth that we have experienced, that we are experiencing, and that we have yet to experience, it is my hope that we will live in humility, teachableness, graciousness, courage, and that we will not be dominated by fear responses. Spirit of God, may that be so among us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what are you thinking about? What's